When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to dive into Jeremiah again. I encourage you to Google Jeremiah of the Lamentations by Rembrandt, a really evocative painting of the prophet. I have it on my wall. I'm looking at it right now, and I look at it often. Thanks for joining us. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah. On that day, says the Lord, courage shall fail the king and the officials. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, how utterly you have deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, It shall be well with you, even while the sword is at the throat. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A hot wind comes from, the, comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. Look, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. O Jerusalem, wash your heart clean of wickedness so that you may be saved. How long shall your evil schemes lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims disaster from Mount Ephraim. Tell the nations, here they are. Proclaim against Jerusalem. Besiegers come from a distant land. They shout against the cities of Judah. They have closed in around her like watchers of a field. Because she has rebelled against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have brought this upon you. This is your doom, how bitter it is. It has reached your very heart. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent. For I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Disaster overtakes disaster. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are destroyed, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void and to the heavens that they, had no, that they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the field had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This impassioned word from God that Jeremiah speaks 
is the impending doom of the city of Jerusalem. It's hard for us to imagine what it would be like for this to happen. Um, certainly this happens in modern times, the, the invasion and destruction of a city. We think of the uh, World War II and the firebombing of Dresden, the, the utter destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with atomic weaponry, and all the other places that people live that they no longer could live in, uh, and all the waste and destruction of that. And this, is, this captures what is going to happen to Jerusalem. Hasn't happened yet. And it's hard to tell who is speaking here. Um, Isaiah, I mean, Jeremiah goes back and forth with his voice and the Lord's voice, back and forth in this text. And I think both are there. Both voices are there. Whenever we lament something that bad that's happened in the world, no matter why it's happened, here in this case, the bad things that have happened are a direct result of the forsaking of the covenant, as it says over and over again. But sometimes bad things aren't happening for those reasons. But whenever we lament them and we have anguish about them, verse 19, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I don't know, that captures what that feels like better than anything I've ever read. Whenever we have this kind of anguish, we can be sure that God has it with us. The God that we worship is not aloof from human feeling and suffering, even though it may seem that way sometimes. I think that's the greatest cause of our despair, is that God doesn't hear us. There's only one uh, well-documented, mentally ill hymn writer um, in the Christian tradition. There are probably many others, but um, William Cooper um, wrote, was, a, was a very mentally ill priest in the Church of England um, who wrote some of the most beautiful hymns we have. Um, God moves in a mysterious way is one of my favorites. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unsearchable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. So God is in control, God is strong, but God is mysterious. And ye fearful saints... Fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. So he knew the storm clouds of life. He knew that God is of immense power, but also God is often hidden behind the clouds. He's saying those clouds that God is hidden behind are clouds of blessing very different perspective on that absence of God that we see so much in Christian thought. And then, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Uh, William Cooper 
gets at the heart of what Jeremiah is saying, that God is mysterious. And the minute we try to figure God out, say what God is and what God isn't, we have entered into that mystery of faith. And the, the mystery of faith for a mentally ill person like William Cooper was often that God hates him, that the world is full of judgment and nobody loves him. And yet what he's saying is that the clouds that obscure our view of God are really clouds of blessing. And behind those clouds, God is smiling at us. We need to reorient ourselves to what God really looks like. The blessing of the ironic blessing given in the Old Testament is that God will turn the light of his countenance upon us, the light of his face upon us. Um, does your face light up for anybody when they come into a room? Um, that's one of the most beautiful things about human beings is to watch this happen. Um, our faces light up when we see each other. There's a joy there, happiness. And it's true um, all across the, of humanity. We have this moment of seeing someone's face and having this moment of joy. Um, that, is, um, that is what God is doing behind those clouds of, of judgment, those clouds of dread, those clouds of uncertainty, those clouds of mystery. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. That here in the bitterness of life, there is a sweetness that comes after it in the kingdom of God. In fact, that is what Jeremiah says here in, um, in this lament, in this rage of sadness that he has. He talks about the bitterness um, that comes from contemplating this impending doom and destruction. He asks that question, will we always be at war? Will we always hear the sound of the war trumpet and always have to look at the war banners? This is a, when, when we are in our, um, in suffering, it seems like it'll go on forever. It'll never end. And that's not true. That's not true for Jesus in his suffering. It's not true for our, us in our suffering. Blind unbelief is sure to err. Blind unbelief is sure to make an error and scan his work in vain. For God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. William Cooper is trying to get us to be patient with God. And ultimately that's what Jeremiah is trying to do too. To say that even though we are in the storm, God is still here. God is still with us, and our story is not over. It's not over yet, even though we don't understand it, even though we can't fathom why this is happening to us. Um, there is a time of mourning for the earth, and this is what Jeremiah is trying to point to. Um, and yet, it is the book of Jeremiah, as I will constantly remind us as we read it, is always pointing to the same thing the same blessing that will come after this judgment. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That although Jesus um, suffers and dies for us, he does rise from the dead. And every one of our dyings is 
the precursor to a resurrection. Whatever is dying in you right now will be reborn in the resurrection, in the world to come, and perhaps in this life as well, in small ways and big ways. This is when our hearts are beating wildly, that as Jeremiah's is, um, this is when we need this kind of word the most. So take courage. The clouds are clouds of blessing. Even though they are full of rain, that rain is a blessing rain. Amen. Today is the feast day of Gregory of Nyssa. Gregory of Nyssa is a old theologian and bishop who we remember today. But he was not old in his day. He was quite dazzling. Gregory, a man enchanted with Christ and dazzled by the meaning of his passion. Just wanted to work that word dazzled in there. If you like coffee and you've been to Razzle Dazzle Coffee here in Pflugerville, I forget, I think that's the name of it. Is that it? Be Dazzled Coffee? I usually don't go there because it's drive through, but I go to West Pecan, as you well know. Um, But he was dazzled by the meaning of Christ's passion. He was born in Caesarea in Cappadocia in 334, the younger brother of Basil the Great, and in his youth, a reluctant Christian. This is the area um, that is uh, often a Roman and other empires battlefield, a a place that was contested by many armies that he grows up in Cappadocia. Um, It's also the mythical land of the Amazons, um, by some accounts. When he was 20, the transfer of the relics of the 40 martyrs of Sebaste to the family chapel of Anisi quickened Gregory's faith, and he became a practicing Christian and a lector, which was a reader of scripture. He later abandoned this ministry, however, to become a rhetorician like his father. The art of rhetoric was sort of the uh, cinema of the day, if you will. There were certainly plays and theaters, but there was also this thing called rhetoric, where people would give speeches on various topics, and people would come and listen. And the better the speaker, the more crowds they would have. And they would kind of be, um, the rhetoricians were celebrities in their own right um, as performers and past and purveyors of knowledge, kind of like um, certain speakers and writers are today, even though they don't hold a post at a university or they, they don't aren't in charge of anything, they are speakers and they speak uh, if you're, if you're sending someone a three-hour-long YouTube video of someone talking, that's probably a rhetorician, um, the equivalent of today. So you can see the vain glory in this profession of rhetoric. His brother Basil, in his struggle against the Emperor Valens, compelled Gregory to become Bishop of Nyssa, a town 10 miles from Caesarea. Knowing himself to be unfit for the charge, Gregory described his ordination as the most miserable day of his life. He lacked the important Episcopal skills of tact and understanding and had no sense of the value of money. Falsely accused of embezzling church funds, Gregory went into hiding for two years, not returning to his diocese until Valens died. 
Um, I think we can all relate to Gregory's struggle in that the reasons many people go into ministry um, are for the ministry, talking about the Bible, talking about people's lives, and not necessarily how to run a small or large nonprofit. Um, in that case, a very large nonprofit, uh, diocese, um, and all the administration that goes into that. Um, many clergy lament the administration, which often means just returning phone calls and things like that. But um, certainly it was not his strong suit, and he suffered for it. He went into hiding for two years. That's what it did to him. Although he resented his brother's dominance, Gregory was shocked by Basil's death in 379. Several months later, he received another shock. His beloved sister Macrina was dying. Gregory hastened to her side and conversed with her for two days about the death, the soul, and the meaning of the resurrection. Macrina died in her brother's arms. The account of Macrina's life and death is really powerful. Joy Clarkson, who joined us a couple months weeks ago, talked about Macrina a lot, and she is the subject of my first podcast ever. Um, and she died of breast cancer, which was common in that day, as it is in ours. Um, and she lived an exemplary life. The, uh, the real hero of these, this family, of Macrina, Gregory of Nyssa, Nocritidis, and Basel, is Macrina. She's the real anchor and theologian of the family. And you can read more about her on her feast day or any time. But these two deaths, while stunning Gregory, also freed him to develop as a deeper and richer philosopher and theologian. He reveals his delight in the created order in his treatise on the making of man. He exposes the depth of his contemplative and mystical nature in his life of Moses and again in his commentary of the Song of Songs. In the great catechism, or his great catechism is considered second only to Origen's treatise on first principles, and his treatise on virginity is a masterpiece of ascetical theology, or trying to master self-discipline theology. Gregory's theological writings have received a resurgence of interest among Christian theologians starting in the mid-20th century, and he is regarded as one of the Cappadocian fathers, together with his brother Basil and their friend Gregory of Nazianzus. Gregory died on March 9th, probably in Nyssa around the year 394. So this theologian and pastor and bishop um, had a great influence with his writings, but also through his life and the kinds of things that he emphasized. Um, and ultimately, it was this meditation on dying that brought the most wisdom to his life. It is really hard to be with those who are dying that we love, people that we've known, people that we've cared for, um, this is really hard to do. And it is in that reflection um, that we get in those experiences that really the real wisdom of life uh, comes to us. And it's true of Gregory as well. So we pray for that same spirit of wisdom that we have learned in through observing and caring for those who are dying um, to give us wisdom in how to live our lives here on the surface of the planet. Almighty God, who hast revealed to thy church thine eternal being of glorious majesty and perfect love as one God in trinity of persons, give us grace that, like thy bishop Gregory of Nyssa, we may continue steadfast in the confession of this faith and constant in our worship of thee, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who livest and reignest now and forever. Amen. Mm -hmm.
O God, who hast made of one blood all the peoples of the earth, and did send thy blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near, grant the people everywhere may seek after thee and find thee. Bring the nations into thy fold, pour out thy Spirit upon all flesh, and hasten the coming of thy kingdom. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.